What is racism? What is bias? When asked the questions, my expert would say that it's filling in the gaps of your knowledge with negative assumptions. Is the sweaty athlete a poor student? Does the person with the tattoo sleeve have a criminal record? Has the host of the show ever worked a day in his life, or is he just another bum with a podcast? No matter your answer, if you don't have hard data on that person, you're making a guess and including a whole heaping helping bias and or racism. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast, a show that acknowledges no one is always an expert by dispelling misconceptions with real experts. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Braden Anderson. Braden became known for being the first person ever to play NCAA basketball while going to law school, which isn't easy by any stretch and required a school willing to let him try. But even before that struggle, Braden was growing up in an openly racist province of Canada, which I didn't even know was still an issue beyond the 2000s. And that's probably not the only thing you'll be surprised to hear. There are a lot of unseen struggles for people of all kinds, but it can be especially disheartening for certain demographics when they aren't given the chance to break the stereotype. That's just part of the message Braden's here to share with us in telling his story. Up front, there was some audio issues with the file, and I am relocated to a new studio setup that is not fully complete, but I did my best to normalize the volume and repair the mics cutting out. It drops off pretty early and shouldn't affect the overall listening, hopefully. Let's check our own preconceived notions about what's what. Welcome to the show, Braden Anderson. Thanks a lot. Happy to be here, Colton. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience? So, yeah, my name is Braden Anderson. I'm an attorney at a large law firm specializing in government investigations and internal investigations. Um, I'm also an author, and I wrote a book called Black Resilience, The Blueprint for Black Crime from the Face of Racism. And I'm also an entrepreneur. I own a coffee shop and a burger joint. got a couple other things. Yeah. And that's quite a lot of things going all in tandem. Do you ever, like, struggle having that many things going on? I, I think it's a product of how you learn to be successful and really feel comfortable with your identity and what you're doing. I, in my most important moments in life, was absolutely slammed, right? And needed to be that busy in Right. Like, I think if I was doing any less, I would have failed. Right. And that's just kind of what comes from like, there were periods of time where I was homeless. Right. Like, I've had to do a lot and kind of go above and beyond to become the version of myself that I am today. Didn't sleepwalk there. And so I think, honestly, it's a blessing and a curse. I like everyone says that to me and really just ask the question, like, how are you doing so many things? Like, how did you write a book while working? 75 hour weeks of the law firm and you also started you know the side business as an entrepreneur like how does that work and i think it's it's a product of first you know trying to escape homelessness 
alone, doing it on your own without money. And then, you know, later having to balance and become the first person ever to play basketball while in law school, right? Like Division One NCAA high major ball full time while at law school full time, right? Like that required a similar level of chaos, right? And the time management skills that are required to do that. And so I think what ends up happening is when you become that version of yourself under immense pressure, you you start to feel lazy if you're not doing a million things, right? Because you feel like, hey, I could be more efficient with this time. I'm watching Netflix right now. Are you kidding me? I could start another business with this time, right? Like you just start to think differently about time and value and how am I leveraging each opportunity every day to the fullest, right? And I think that really is about gratitude, I would say, right? Being that grateful for every opportunity, every moment that you have in life, that you're obsessed with trying to squeeze as much as you possibly can out of it. Yeah, and that's certainly an amount of drive that not everyone has. You know, a lot of people are comfortable to sit there to do nothing to watch another Netflix episode. You know, and you said there was quite a lot in your past that kind of got you to here that said, I need to keep working, I need to escape this stuff. Was there someone that also helped you kind of find that drive early on, or is that just self-made? It's a great question. I think first speaking to, hey, like a lot of people would be okay with watching Netflix and having a little bit more calmness in their life. I think to that, it's really important to, to focus on identity, right? Whether or not you're successful or not is completely subjective. And it really does matter what you think, right? So who am I trying to be? If I'm trying to be a violinist, I'm failing at that, right? I don't know how to play the violin. But if I'm trying to be who I am, I, right? Like, and be an attorney and, you know, earn financial freedom and, and build passive income and, you know, all these other things and write a book and hopefully make it different and philanthropy, like that, I'm being successful. So I think it starts with identity number one. Who do you want to be? Really think about it. And don't limit yourself at all in terms of what you think is realistic, what you think is probable, what you think is statistically likely, none of that stuff. Forget about that right away. Is it, do the laws of physics prevent you from doing this? The laws of physics, as we understand them today, would prevent you from becoming this version of yourself or achieving these goals. Maybe you want to find something else. But those are really the only limitations. Come up with something, come up with this version of yourself that you're like, man, that would be awesome. I really feel like I am that person. It's not really, I'm not behaving in a way that's producing that outcome right now, but man, I would love to be that. It could be that you watched a movie. Netflix might be helpful in the story because maybe you watched a movie or a show that really inspired you. The main character in that show was just, they were so confident and, and they, were, they weren't afraid and, and they were this great version of a person and you believe in some of those attributes that lives in you too if that inspired you if that moved you guess what that's you too right these human qualities exist in all of us and so first i would i would say to your question like it's really about identity in terms of whether there was somebody who really made a difference who brought that out of me that drive 
I think that's something that really does come from within. Certainly, you don't make it alone. And that's not to say that there isn't a ton that you have to do on your own. There's tons that it, it doesn't see the light of day. It, it happens in the dark and it, and it shines in the light. But, you know, obviously there's going to be people along your journey who, who help, right? And there's a phrase, right, that the harder I work, the luckier I get, right? What that essentially means is breaking it down to the science, because it is a fact. It's an objective fact. But how does that actually break down? Because it's not magic, okay? Right? Like, it's not this, like, magic thing. It's that I, because of my gratitude, because of my focus and, and my knowledge of, of the identity that I have and who I want to be and what I want to accomplish, right? there's also the same thing with the secret and the universe will conspire to make things happen. Again, there's a scientific breakdown here. There's a realistic kind of fundamental thing that's happening there, and it's not magic. It's that at the end of the day, all of your efforts, your thoughts, your thoughts can have a real impact in the physical world because we have this amazing body. We have this vessel that can interact with the physical world. So if you show me a person who's obsessing about becoming a hedge fund manager, the best in the world every day, day in and day out, obsessing over, over the market and investments and, and how to best you know, went over the confidence of clients and they're just like, and the regulations and the rules and how they're going to manage risk and diversify. And they're just obsessing over becoming that person. It's not going to be magic that makes that happen. The universe will make it happen because of the physical manifestations of those ideas over time, right? You will begin to become that person. And as you do that work and you are driven and inspired to become that, there will be lucky things that happen along the way. There will be people that you come across that, hey, I'm going this way too. Or, hey, I actually really need your services. I actually need someone just like you. Or, hey, I just like you and I don't want to stand in your way. And so I'm going to do you a solid right now to give you this opportunity to make this happen. Obviously, I needed that to happen when I played basketball for Seton Hall while in law school, right? Like it had not been done. So the first thing is like, we're going to let you do this. Like, what if, what if you fail? We're all going to look silly if you fail, right? And so at the end of the day, one out of 350 schools was like, fine, we'll let you try this. We're going to let you try this. And like, don't make us look bad. But like, we think that you can potentially do this. Be the first one. I guess like the situation in the universe didn't line up, right, in a way that could make this happen or allow this to happen for anybody else, I guess I obsess over it the most, right? And and obviously had some other advantages that put me at least in the conversation, in the position. Because a lot of people think of an idea that seems far-fetched or seems hard or too hard or difficult. And the reason why it feels that way is often flawed application of statistics and probability, right? So you might think about the fact that it had never been done and say, well, that means, therefore, it is impossible because 0% of people have done it. However, what I started to think about, and that's what certain people told me, right, when I was facing some negativity at the very beginning when I started sharing this idea. And what I started to, to think about was, well, how many people have been in the position that I'm 
where I'm obsessing over this. I want to make this happen. And I'm a good student. And I am actually in the NCAA playing basketball. I actually have the opportunity. Like, what is the pool? What's the population size? What's the amount of data? How many people are in that category? They've tried and failed. And they've had similar GPA, similar test scores, similar drive, similar whatever. Right? Think about it empirically in that way. How many people have been there and then tried and then failed? And then what is it most probable that these people did, right? Because that's the other thing. Statistic is really dependent on what variables are there. And so it's dependent on like, well, what did those people do that caused them to fail? Or what could have been done better to allow them to succeed, right? And you start to kind of paint this picture and there's not a lot of real data out there, but you can make some very, you know, very sound predictions right, that are based on information that we do know, right? Like, how many student athletes are there? How many actually go on to do a graduate program? Like, like how many graduate early and actually have eligibility left that would enable them to do something like this? How many of them have a GPA over 3.3 or, right? Like, you start to kind of think about that and you go, you know what? This is worth a shot. It's not about the guarantee. It's about, this is worth a shot. You're going to have to stop me. I'm not going to stop myself. And this applies to everything. I'm not stopping myself. I'm not shutting doors on myself ever. There's a time and a moment that you need to look in the mirror and say, I'm not quitting on myself. I'm not going to be the reason that I don't achieve something because I think I can't do it. The universe, people, dogs, (laughs) right? Like, Aliens, it doesn't, you're going to have to stop. Some natural or or even supernatural force is going to have to stop me from doing this um, in order for, for this to be something that I fail at, right? Just kind of taking that out of the, out of the, the picture of, of your mind, right? Uh, I think that's a really, really important uh, philosophy and, and phenomenon to really grapple with and Well, yeah, and to say, like, is this physically possible? Can it be achieved, you know, against all odds, even if true? You're like, yeah, I can achieve it. It is still physically possible. Like, someone can go to school and play high-level basketball at the same time, so I can achieve it. Does that mean it's going to be stress-free or without issues? Like you said, you're going to get lucky in some things. Some things may be unlucky, you know, you might run into obstacles along the way, but you have to push through that. You have to have the commitment to yourself, like you were saying, to say, like, no, this is not what stops me. Like, it's going to take a lot more than this. You're, and you're certainly going to run into obstacles, which is the entire focus of my book, Black Resilience, because it's about that resilience. It's about the tempered steel that your mentality can become, right? You develop mental toughness, not from good times, but from bad. I'm extremely grateful for the trauma and obstacles that I had to go through because it enabled me to have the mental toughness when things went wrong and continue to go wrong, that it's going to be okay. I've been here before. And instead of thinking, hey, it's going to be okay, for me personally, it's a little bit more like I know that bad things are coming. I'm just, I'm, I'm waiting for something bad to happen, but it's not the end of the world when it does. It's just, you, you just care less. 
about bad things happening. Because it's like, again, it's going to have to kill me, right? Like, at the end of the day, like, it sucks, but it's not going to make things better for me to worry about that, for me to worry and be and be anxious and, like, thinking about it that way of, like, oh, I hope something bad doesn't happen. And, like, that's something that is a cause of learned helplessness, right? Which, you know, shifting more to the focus of Black resilience is, like, that's severely impacting the Black community, right? Learned helplessness, this learned trauma over time for generations, where, like, we have learned in many instances in many communities, it's, like, in our blood. Like, we, it's, it's this feeling that we're going to fail, that something's going to stop us, that there's these areas, these sectors, these industries that are white. Lawyers are white, right? Like finance is white and accounting is, it's white and you can't succeed there because like someone's going to stop you. And the truth is no one's going to stop. You are going to stop yourself by telling yourself that, right? And that is going to produce a poor outcome. Just (laughs) statistically, if you don't believe it, you're certainly not going to convince anybody else, right? And so I think that's an important aspect. But zooming out and, and thinking more about my story and, and different moments where that had to be actually used in practice. Like, I grew up in a small town with very little diversity. And so in many ways, I was on the front line without backup, right? I'm, like, out there alone. And so, like, my teachers would say, get this N-word out of my classroom. My my nickname amongst my peers was Big Mig, right? Like, it was just, like, a very racist, like, completely racist bubble that was around me, my school, and my town. And there wasn't a lot that I could do about it. During many years of my life, I felt like it was my duty to, like, <laughs> defend all of Black North America, right? Because I like, grew up in Canada. Um, and so when people called me the N-word, it was like, I need, like, you can't say that. I, I can't let you say that as a member of the black community. And it's like, I, I'm a community of one, <laughs> right? At least geographically, right? Like, ah, it's my duty to do this, but you're going to get in a lot of trouble if you are the sole person who's going to, like, fight every single person who calls you the N-word or, or says something racist. Right? So I had to kind of evolve my mentality surrounding that, but it was obviously still difficult emotionally and psychologically to, to go through that. And it was also hard not to see black professionals, not to see black doctors, not to see black, you know, entrepreneurs and business owners. You didn't see a lot of it, right? Um, any of it, really, personally. And so that became a, a, a challenging dilemma in, in a lot of ways. But you mentioned earlier that, like, it's it's about making sure that even if even if variables outside of your control present themselves, and you know different conditions occur that are difficult, that you're remaining steadfast and focused, and and that you can be kind of impervious to, to those things. When I told my coach at Fresno State that. I wanted to do this, right? Play basketball in law school, right? Like, he thought it was hilarious. He actually, he laughed out loud in my face. 
and that was tough. Like that's tough. Like you're, you know, you're. I was like 20 years old or or whatever I was, and um, I thought I had this big bad plan. And somebody's been coaching for almost 40 years, who's coached a bunch of NBA players, who you certainly have to respect and, and respect their knowledge, right? Like I was kind of taking all this in from that perspective, from a pretty mature perspective of going, he just disrespected me crazy, but he does have a lot of credibility. And so how do I deal with this? How do I deal with the fact that he laughed in my face so loud I had to wipe spit off my face? Like, how do I deal with that, that this happened and, and be able to, you know, not internalize this in a way that's going to damage my likelihood of success and 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 or should i be listening to this should i like you have to actually go through that analysis of do they have a point right and i think i came to the conclusion that like he was speaking from experience right that i needed to really take what he was saying in his position and his reaction really seriously because it would likely be no different than many, many other college coaches because he's plugged into that community. If that's his view, certainly he's not the only one who believes that. And so I think it was actually helpful, right? It's about turning negatives into positives and, and having the full perspective. It was helpful in certain ways because I was like, you know what? I This is no joke. Like This is going to be hard. <laughs> if this is the idea around it, even if that's the only difficult factor, that's going to be a hurdle because I need somebody in that position, head coach, to say yes and not laugh in my face, right? Like, I need them to do something different than that. Um, at Fresno State, they didn't have a law school, right? And so that's what initially, like, otherwise, I probably would have made it easy on myself because it was that hard to do that if, Fresno State had a law school and they were willing to let me do it. I probably would have been like, yeah, let's do that. But luckily, I, you know, in the grand scheme, like Seton Hall is a great law school, certainly, you know, better than Fresno State would have been, right, um, in all likelihood being a state school. Um, but it's all about you, you can't control what's happening to you. You can only control your reaction to it. Yeah, certainly. And there was a lot in there, you know, that, facing uphill battles you're seeing people that are like look i know how many people have you know tried to play ball at this level and like they struggle just to keep up with that because there's you know a talent gap there's an athletics gap there's whatever it is i'm seeing a lot of people struggle to do that and you want to throw law school on top of it like that's the funniest joke i've heard all day yeah you know there's certainly some of that and i know like people aren't seeing us have this conversation, but you certainly don't seem like old enough for me to think like, oh yeah, this profound, like public outspoken racism that you're talking about. I'm like, man, that seems like something that should have been left so long ago. How long ago was that? It wasn't that long ago. I'm 30 years old. Um, it was it was bad. I think in some ways, and, and people say that a lot, right? Like that's something that I hear and respond frequently. And I think first of all, zooming out and understanding what Alberta, Canada is, 
right? It is oil country. It is really like in terms of comparing it to New Jersey, like where I live right now, which is like I think the most populous state in terms of like per square, like per capita, like in the United States. Like Alberta is just farmland <laughs> practically, right? Like this is rural out there. Um, and so there's not the population density is very low. The black population is abysmal, right? And so like just think about like the like something ten times worse than the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. And like just think about the ideologies that are likely to exist uh in an environment like that. It's gonna be a really what we would in modern society in densely populated cities would call extremely racist but the people who live in the bubble they don't think they're racist they don't know what's going on like some people that's that's a lie because some people do like some people i had a run-in with skinheads who actually tied me to a tree and threw rocks at me uh, luckily i escaped alive but when i was 13 like it was crazy we're we're doing we're clip jumping you know just with your friends classic summer day and just skinhead like out of nowhere and we were like running for our life and like that kind of thing they know they're racist they're trying to be racist they tattooed swastikas on their body like they're into the racism but the vast majority of the racism that i experienced was implicit um or like i guess you could call you know calling me the n-word is explicit right but like even these people who use the n-word they're not like truly internalizing this this mainstream idea of racism in that way, right? Like they, many people didn't understand it, and like even more than that, would just treat me poorly, and they're just and they don't they can't quite put their finger on why, right? Like they would just treat me, the only black kid, like shit, <laughs> and that is also racist, right? And like that was probably the worst of it, like. Out of all the things I over that, that I had to deal with, the physical, the verbal, like the overt racism, come at me. You're not you can't touch me. You're not you're not making me feel badly about myself up here. That's silly. What hurts is when it's implicit. It's it, what hurts is when they just like don't treat you properly. When like you're trying to get an opportunity or you're trying to turn this paper in and you're trying to get these things that you need like you need the grade to get to the next thing and like you, you, you're messing with my opportunities now like that's like bar none like that is what hurts the most um because you it's so you gotta find it you gotta uncover it you gotta stop it in its track before it happens and that's again what I talk a lot about in the book, there was a moment in college where I had a 4.0 at the time. Okay, it's my second semester. I'm in political science class, and it's right after practice. It's right after practice. About I don't know. It it's a while in terms of the exact distance between like half a mile to a mile or, or something like that. Don't quote because I think I do give the exact. Uh, you know, mileage in the book because I literally went on Google Maps and I was like, how far is it? Um, but it's not that close. And like, if you have class 
between like five and ten minutes after practice, like better have a car, right? And you also like better run, right? And like I would alternate different ideas of how to get there because driving wasn't always the best. Take time to park, whatever. And so like I was repeatedly showing up at this guy's class like five minutes late, like not twenty, like five minutes late. And like sweaty, right? Like I'm sweaty. I just came from practice. I'm like a little late. Like I'm like a hot mess. Like I'm not looking my best, my sharpest, my most academic, right? And so you can only imagine, right? Like what this guy's perspective of me was. Like he had taught there for many, many, many years and had seen many different, you know, classes of student athletes for various, whether it's the football team or basketball team, come through there. And you know, what was his perspective? Like, what did he think of me and my identity, right? And just, like, think about that first before I explain what happened. So I turn in our first, like, major writing assignment, and I am super excited because I worked really hard on it. Like, I, you know, had my grandpa read it, had my uncle read it, and, and let me know what they thought, had my mom read it. Like, you know, I cared about school, right? Like, I was trying to do a good job. Um, and I knew I needed to, to get to law school and get to the next level. So, you know, everyone who read it thought it was great, blah, 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 you know, fix all my little, you know, would say, oh, I think there's a typo here, you should look at that, like that kind of stuff. And you know, I thought that it was a pretty good piece of, of, of writing. I had it in and yeah. And I'm like, what the heck happened? Like, what, F? This wasn't an F, okay? Like, I, a B would be insulting, right? But like an F, like what is happening, right? Am I even on earth, right? And so I go to this guy and I'm like, what is it? Like, what? So the F, like, and he was like, you didn't write this. You know, you should be, you should be luckier even in the school. Like, I should, you know, I could report you. I was like, uh, I did write this. Why do you think that I didn't write it? It's like, there's no way. A college student could even write this way. Like, this, you know, and I think he was, again, presuming, like, I'm the student athlete. Maybe I had a guidance counselor or tutor or study aid or, like, you know, because, like, we do have a center where we can, like, they don't write stuff for you, right? Um, But there's resources there. But, like, again, thinking about, like, what bias is and what stereotypes are and, like, how that works in your mind and, like, how you for things it's all about like these gaps of knowledge about people that we don't have the answers for bias is negative bias in particular is like when you're filling those gaps with negative things right and you're assuming all your assumptions that you have to make they're negative assumptions and privilege on the other hand when people talk about like what's white privilege you call it white privilege you call it whatever the privilege that we're talking about with respect to bias, right? Like, which, you know, could be someone that's white that has the privilege. It could also be just like the privilege that you have to not be like strung out on drugs and show up to an interview, right? Like there's going to be bias for anybody. Me, if I interview somebody who's strung out, like I'm making certain assumptions, right? Like, and those gaps of knowledge, like I don't know their story. I don't know if they... Maybe someone like spiked their drink on their way over and they're not a drug addict. Someone just spiked them and they're totally right. Like, but you're making assumptions. And he clearly made that 
negative assumption about me that, like, of course, I couldn't have written this, wrote this paper. I'm the guy who's five minutes late for his class every day and is sweaty. <laughs> I'm the sweaty basketball guy. I clearly am not this, like, A-plus, like, what? And it was too much for him. His brain, like, literally was exploding. Like, he couldn't fathom that. Like, that could, those two things couldn't exist in his brain at the same time. Basketball player, sweaty, late, you know, a, a sleeve of tattoos. But, like, that doesn't exist in that body who also produces this piece of writing, right? Like, and that's really hard for a lot of people because you are breaking the norms. Like, it, there, there is some life experience likely in every biased and racist person. There probably is this like bubble of experiences and people that they've talked to who've shit. Like, if you're really racist, you maybe grew up in a family where they talk like that. You have a friend group that like people think those things and like share their like confirmatory like stories that perpetuate that narrative. And like, of course, you're gonna have those shitty views. And of course, I'm going to be subjected to them and have to overcome and navigate. But like, I had to make the decision. And I did that after this. So like, in that moment, I was like, I didn't handle it. I was just like, I couldn't like, I was like, imagine it. Like, I'm trying to argue with this guy. And like, I wrote the freaking paper and he wouldn't like, there was, there's nothing I could do. He was just like, didn't believe me. And he had that power. Like, it was wild. I learned through the process. Like, he had that pro- that power to just say, like, nope. And it just was unacceptable for me. And I didn't know how to overcome that in that moment. And I just walked out. I just, I pretty much told him, listen, you know, I was kind of arrogant a little bit. I was like, I'm 4.0 student. You're wrong. You're wrong about this paper. You're wrong about me. Google me in 10 years. Promise me you will. Google me in 10 years. You're never going to see me again. I'm done with this class. It's done with you. You're not worth it. This will be the only app I ever get in my life. But, like, pretty much F you. I'm out. Right? And, like, because I was ticked. Like, and I felt like I had earned some respect. Like, you keep on, and that's hard with life, too. Because you keep killing it. Like, I lived in my grandparents' garage with my five younger siblings. And then I was homeless. And then I'm getting beat up with by skinheads. And then I, you know, was an All-American, got recruited to Kansas, then get ruled a partial qualifier because the school that I went to in North Carolina was apparently not all up to stuff with the NCAA, which was also a challenge, by the way, because we were 16 boys living in a two-bedroom apartment, right? And, like, you think you keep making it and you keep getting shot down, and now I'm at Fresno State, but I'm killing it academically, and so I'm feeling like I'm on a roll. And then this teacher's like, nope. Like, you know what I've been through? You know what I've done to get here? Do you know how much I've earned this? Like, don't you see me, right? You don't get that assumption. You have to, and it's so hard, and especially in the Black community. Many people in the Black community feel so frustrated by this. When we somehow scratch and claw and fight to get to this place where we hope that we can be treated as equal, we just, it's relentless. It's relentless. The racism and the obstacles and the and the bias, like it's relentless and it's never gonna stop. And what saved my life and my future and my mentality was I just learned to accept. It. I learned that listen, I hope the world changes, 
I hope racism gets way better. I really do. And I'll, I'll, I'll donate to causes. I will go speak at I want to, the whole awareness of racism thing, diversity and inclusion, all for it, man. All for it. Hope it really makes a difference. But at the end of the day, this is my life. I need to become who I want to be. Maybe that's selfish, but it's like, I want to succeed right now. I'm not going to bet my life and generations of, of my kids, grandkids, down the line, I'm not going to gamble on Black Lives Matter changing the world. I got to succeed. I got to, if this keeps happening to me over and over, right, the definition of insanity, people quote too much, I think. Um, but doing the same thing over and over again, you know, expecting a different result, yada, 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 right? If I were to continue to be surprised and flabbergasted and upset and angry every single time, something like that happened, literally you're going to go insane or depressed, right? Like you're going to, it's not going to work out. You're going to start quitting. You're going to stop reaching your full potential because you're going to start making these assumptions that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast that, nope, not for me, probably not going to work out for me, not something that I can do. And in order to avoid that, you have to just start to assume that certain things are going to happen. So, again, I'm thinking about this professor at Poly and what happened. And now I'm thinking about what can I do differently? I told this guy, F you, but, like, what about in the future? Because this is, like, one teacher, you can tell one teacher in, in your life to F you and you'll probably be okay, right? <laughs> but, like, you can't tell every teacher to F you. That's not going to work. And so what was I going to do in the future? And so the next class I tried something as an experiment to see what happened the next semester. And it was essentially something that went like this. Wait till the end of the class, go up to the professor and introduce yourself. But really you are kind of like, you're, you're focused, you're on a mission. You know what you're trying to do and you know why you're there. And it's not just to say hi, right? It's, hey, my name is Braden Anderson. Want to make sure that I introduce myself. I'm on the basketball team. You may have suspected, you may have guessed, right? I need you to understand. I really care about my academics. I really care about your class. I want to know, I want you to know, first of all, just how excited I am to be in your class that I got in. I have been looking at this, circled it on, you know, on the database for a while. I read your research paper on X and like, I just, I couldn't wait to, to learn more and da da da. And like, you know, you have the conversation on a total speech they say some stuff oh blah, blah, blah. you know and like yeah i want to become an attorney actually uh after i'm done playing basketball and da, 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 and you know it just becomes this whole thing but like you're forcing them to see you you're forcing them to because you're giving them more information again what's bias what's racism it's filling in gaps of no knowledge with negative assumptions about you. so how can i stop that fill some of the gaps like fill any of them start filling gaps make Sure, you're taking some initiative to build a bridge. That's what I call it. Build a bridge. We, and I say we in terms of the black community, there's a lot of frustration a lot of times where you're like, I don't want to build a bridge. I shouldn't build a bridge. It's been generations of trauma, of persecution, of being marginalized, of all these things. Screw you guys. You build a bridge. I'm done. <laughs> you Like, treat me fairly, right? And it's like, yeah, you got a point, right? It's like, yeah, I get it. But at the, at the end of the day, what Black Resilience, my book, is about is first we go through, I don't go 
straight to here's the 10 steps to no this is a real thing this is an emotional hard difficult thing it's first you gotta just walk through what we're dealing with and our emotions and how we're feeling and what we've experienced right this isn't like an average self-help book right like this is like we gotta walk through what happened here because this is tough what we're dealing with as a community and what we've all dealt with individually and let's get on the same page there right so a lot of context and storytelling at the, at the very beginning just kind of like let's get on the same page here. and then from there like you do start to learn some different strategies you start to get the blueprint to triumph in all of these difficult situations you know uh involving racism and other options right because the playbook works no matter what right whether it's racism or something else the playbook in terms of the back end the infrastructure that makes up this playbook it's very easy to apply to other things and that's why black white indian asian doesn't matter this book is going to be worth a lot of money to you right uh if you end up having goals that equate to money but if you have goals that equate to other things right it'll be valuable to you because these strategies they just work right um and so that conversation and the way of just thinking about it's not about the the story it's not like oh wow like you so you became a brown noser and the teacher like treated you properly from then on it's like it's so much bigger than that it's not about that exact situation yes it did work and i got a's after that it did and yes it was significant that that happened because teachers didn't even think i wrote the freaking paper before that so like it's about where i have to get to a lot of people will be like, whatever, but it's like, no, you got to really put yourself in my shoes. And like, when your problem is, even when you do great work, they think you didn't write it. Then like, that's a step up. Just that you're, if your teacher thinks you're brown are great. That's better than them thinking that I am an idiot and I cheat, <laughs> right? So like, you got to kind of get to where you want to go and then work your way from there. And then over time, you can really earn it and become someone who they actually respect your perspective on things i started speaking more in class and, and really researching things and thinking at home before i got to class about the reading and like how and really just being academic about the process right and, and figure out ways that like again do you need to do those things i could get an a doing those things or not doing those things, right like class participation there's a way to go above and beyond. We all know kids who do it, right? And like, there's a way to like, yeah, I'm gonna get a decent participation grade. Um, but what makes it different for somebody like me and for many people who, you know, are not white, <laughs> right? Is that you have to do the above and beyond. And that's what, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to swallow that and say, okay, like I, I'm going to accept that that's something that I have to do. And so I think it's really important for people in the white community to really hear what I'm saying here and buy this book and really read it. It doesn't attack white people. So that's one thing right away for people to understand it. It's not about attacking white people. It's like at all, right? Which should be a breath of fresh air, not because white people don't deserve it, but because it doesn't work. I'm not even going to get into whether like white people deserve it or like that. 
irrelevant. It doesn't work. It's not something that's working. It doesn't work to preach at white people about racism and what they need to do. What you need to do, like, you need to fix racism, white guy, right? Like, that has, it's just not working at all, right? What works is people building a bridge and starting to feel empathy for the other person. And what better way for you to feel some empathy is for you to listen in, pull up a chair to our huddle where we're just having a black conversation about this sucks. And here's, but it's not a negative thing. Like many of these books are where we're just kind of like talking about this like cycle of, of abuse and cycle of trauma that our communities are facing. It's just like very depressing. I don't like tuning into that stuff when there's no plug at the end. That's like, and here's the solution. Like you need a solution. You can't just talk about black trauma every day. That's not good for the black image because I don't want the, the world and our society and mainstream media to be painting this victim picture of black America. Cause that's not it. It's not it. We are killing. There are many, any black people, performers, artists, professionals in all industries killing it despite racism. It didn't, it's not that, oh, it didn't affect them. Oh, yeah, they, they escaped. No, it's there. They beat it. And that should be a focus. We should be shining the light on that. We should be putting the mic in those people's faces. Like, the black guy who makes it to a white hedge fund and like it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't he's not Jay-Z. Who cares? His odds were just as bad. Like he's a superstar. Interview that guy. How did you do it? Right? The, the woman who ends up becoming a you know Fortune 100, the black woman because the Fortune 100 CEO. Interview her. Everybody focus. Make a movie. Put it on the big screen. Like we need to focus on that. Black awareness in the for, in the form of trauma porn, it has not worked, right? Pew Research poll came out, almost 70% of Black Americans said Black Lives Matter, that whole thing, didn't change my life for the better whatsoever, right? And, like, we need to really swallow that. Many, if not most, of the proponents of Black Lives Matter and the really engaged presence, presences were white, right? Which is great. If you're trying and you're like trying to get people to pay attention like hey like watch this video of a black guy getting shot like but it's for us it's it's very it's it's reigniting trauma it's really exhausting it's like yeah we know black people are getting shot like we we know and i'm so sick of seeing it and i'm sick of you seeing it in a way because i want you to see me as an incredible lawyer at your law firm and other people are like, I want you to see me as like an incredible candidate for this residency program. And it's like, I want you to see me as like the best new accountant that you can hire because I'm a motherfucker and you want me on your team. Not because you feel bad for me, not because I'm a victim, but because we're trying to beat China and Russia and other developed nations to, to, to win the world economy. Like we, we're trying to kill it as Americans. We're trying to build the best companies that we possibly can be, that, that, that we possibly can, to compete on the world stage. That's what I'm doing. That's what my mentality is. I'm trying to add value to this country's GDP. I'm trying to, 
you know, pay my taxes. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, I, I'm trying to make a difference and add value to my city, my state, my country, and then the world, right? And at the end of the day, like that's how our economy is set up. That's how our markets are set up. And so the problem with the diversity and inclusion like narrative is that it's not focused on that enough. There are some tangential mentions of it. Like, yeah, like diversity is actually good for your company. And it's like, no, like it's not diversity. It's not like, yes. And there's empirical studies that like say that and, like fine, but like, that's not the point. The point is equality. Like the point is we want a fair shot. The point is there are super, super talented black people that you just, you missed. You missed it. You thought you filled in your gaps with your bias. You filled in gaps where you didn't have information and you filled it in wrong. That matters. Your stakeholders, your shareholders, they should care about that. Like you had a lapse in judgment about a XYZ, you know, percentage of, you know, potential candidates or people that you pass over for a promotion or whatever. And the flip side of that is like how many black people, people in the black community have failed to realize their full potential because of the dynamic that exists, because they saw these videos, because this picture of black victimization has been so loudly painted that it just was too much. It was just like, man. Maybe I should just do something a little bit more simple. Maybe I should just like be more realistic. Maybe I look at what's happening in the world. Look up we're being treated. Right? Like maybe I could just go this way, right? And it's all these sacrifices from full potential. Where it's like, listen, if you want to be a construction worker, again, if that's your identity, that's like what you love, that's what I want you to do. But I don't want you to become a nurse because you think you couldn't make it as a doctor. That's not right. That's not okay. I want If you want to be a nurse, great. Be a nurse because you want to be a nurse, right? Be whatever it is that you want to be because that's what you want to do, not because you're afraid of something. Stop. Yeah, absolutely. And part of this seems like, you know, like you said, yes, I'm trying to help everybody, but I've got to take care of, you know, what's going on in my immediate zone so like, you know, with some of this bias, part of that, you know, building a bridge is also beating it to a punch. That's what I'm hearing is like, if I beat it there before they have, you know, a couple classes to see me as like the sweaty guy in the back, if I can beat them to it and just say like, I really care about this class, I promise you I'm invested, that just fills in, you know, some of those gaps before they have a chance to dive back into a headspace that is unconsciously racist or you know, is biased against like athletes in their classroom, anything like that. And then also knowing that some of this is going to be an uphill battle, like this learned helplessness is not unfounded. There is an uphill battle. You are going to have to fight. You've got to commit to that identity that you want. And you have to like, just not let anything stop you. Yeah. And I just think, listen, perspective is everything. And if you have not been through trauma, if you haven't been through tough times and reached the other end, like the problem is that you think about wartime, and this isn't a guessing, like this isn't a flu. 
lean into it. We love tough times, right? Like it's the same dilemma when you raise kids, when you've had it hard and then you raise your kids and then they have more privileges than you did. And you're like, man, like how do I like instill values in you the way that I instill values in myself? It's like, I really kind of can in the same way because you've had a different life than me. And I even have to teach you these values in a different way, right? Because, right, and so there's that whole thing with that. But you think about, like, if you are growing up in an environment where you don't have privileges, where you are suffering abuse from at the hands of racism or whatever it is, poverty, bad enough. Poverty, man, having to overcome poverty, that's hard enough. Add racism to it, crazy, right? Like, that's very, very difficult. But what I say to the black community is we've been through too much. The trauma, the, the tough times we've been through, don't don't get it twisted. It's bad and it sucks, but don't feed into it the way a lot of mainstream media, a lot of white mainstream media wants you to. Don't feed into it just so much. Just hold your horses just a second. You're not going to be stopped by this stuff, right? Like, you can overcome this. You're great, right? Like, you, we have resilience in our bones. We are black and resilient. Think about what our people have been through. Think about where we came from. Think about what we've done and the progress that we've made since the 50s and 60s. We're coming, man. This isn't a time to embrace victimhood. This is a time, and it's not necessarily a time to celebrate either. It's a time for cunning, thoughtful preparation and strategic perseverance. That's what it is. It's a time for resilience. It's a plan for somber, thoughtful preparation and and execution. Right? Like we need we, we gotta get into more boardrooms. We gotta we do need to increase diversity diversity in, in at every level in every sector. And the way that we're going to do that is not by pointing fingers. It's by us huddling up and, and coming up with some strategies, and then we'll go out there. But like the tone and cadence in which these conversations happen, they need to be more tactful, right? To the extent that we're having, and it's not that like we're never going to, it's not that I don't condone it or advise that we have conversations across the aisle, right? Like I have a conversation with you, it's just like, what is the conversation? Is the conversation, Colton, like, you're white and you're a man, so, like, screw you. Like, that is what a lot of people think. Like, there's a lot of people who, like, that's their thing. They're just like, I don't like privileged people. And, like, I, that's my way of not liking racism. It's like, that's not going to work. Like, that is going to make Colton feel like shit. Like, that's going to make Colton not feel like helping at all and, like, you're not going to become Colton's friend, <laughs> right? Like, and that's the goal. Like, we're trying to be a great America. Like, that's the goal. We, we're we Americans. We're trying to win on a global scale. This infighting about, like, well, I'm black, you're white. Like, I'm a woman and you're a man. It's like, no, no, no. Remember, we're America. We're trying to win. <laughs> we're trying to beat the other country, right? Like, that's where it starts for me. Um, and like, maybe that's even too old school and patriotic at this point, right? We're all about the globalization, but like, 
for me, you have to have a team at some level. And like, yes, I'm on the black team. I'm a black man. I'm a black person. I'm, I'm also just a human being. Right. Um, but in terms of the, the patriotism, like let's, let's figure something that this country that we can all get behind. And it just occurs to me that that's something we should be able to get behind our citizenship, the one country, like, let's get, let's get behind that. Right. Let's start there. And then we can figure out what other things that we have in common and how, how we can take it from there in terms of integrating our communities. Um, but that's what I'm all, all what I'm all about and, and what I'm trying to get done. Absolutely. And I think you're right. Like America, we are the team. And right now our team dynamic kind of sucks. Like you said, we got to have a huddle. We need a team meeting. We got to iron some stuff out. What is, in your opinion, at least the best format, do you think that we could, you know, if money wasn't an option, if time wasn't an option, we didn't care about the resource that went into it. What is the best way that we could start having, you know, a better open dialogue to move things progressively forward without, like you said, like any of this victim painting or any of the problems that we've faced so far? It comes down to everyone getting on the same page. And how do you do that? You're not going to, you're not going to do it through TikTok. Okay, like this isn't something that you're like, oh, five seconds, boop, like downloaded. Like you're not going to download all of this information and context and story in a soundbite. You're not not in a news soundbite or a newsroom or a TikTok or a reel or an article. It's not enough. It's not enough information that you can download to get it. And we all need to get it. Black people need to get this concept and this philosophy and consider it and just think, could this work for me? You can disagree at the end. You can call me, email me and be like, hey, you didn't think about this. I think I've thought of most of it because I've had thousands of conversations, thousands, thousands, so many that all the answers get recycled. After the first three, 400 conversations about different concepts, it's the same. It's the same stuff, right? Like you hear and you have to kind of pretend that you haven't heard it before. You're like, oh yeah, interesting. Right, like, because they would be like, "What? You've had a thousand conversations about the same thing? Are you nuts?" Like, but that's what you do when you're trying to gather data and make a difference and make sure that you haven't missed anything. So, like, if you're black and you're listening to this, like, by the book, you will understand what I'm saying in a different way than you can possibly glean from this podcast. Like, I can only say so much here, right? But the full book, you can be like, "Wow, this is a lot to download. This is a lot." To think this is and you can go back and circle different parts and go hmm, this i really like this quote i'm gonna put this up on my wall like oh this over here this really applies to me today more than yesterday and like you can really work with that material if you're white and you're listening by the book again it's not again like it's not attacking you it's about figuring out this wholesome idea of black resilience as a movement black lives matter is so polarizing so silly and of course, it's going to cause the other the other side to say all lives matter. Like, who thought that out as a promotional like movement? That like, hey, if you say Black Lives Matter, and you only say that, like, obviously the other like, I get it that like, well, that's the point, and like, I get it. I obviously understand why the movement is what it is, but like, it was not that effective. It was incredibly polarizing. It was successful in the sense that it was embraced by much of the mainstream but that's because it was polarizing 
polarization is so profitable. Like, do we all get that yet? Can we understand that the media plays us against each other? That moderate voices like mine, it's tough. Like, can we kind of just understand that? That, like, if you have a moderate kind of position where you're not saying F you to anybody, that that's kind of a tricky place to get publicity. Polarization is profitable. That's something that everyone needs to really take to heart and understand so that you can have eyes wide open while you're watching Fox News or CNBC or CNN. I don't care what you watch. Better keep your eyes and ears really open. You better be questioning everything that you hear, right? Because it's a for-profit business, not NPR, right? And my book is really designed to be just the facts, just the truth, not attacking anybody. Here's what works. It works. You can feel whatever you want to feel. This works. And I think it's not a book club, right? But like you ask, how can we further dialogue? You got to read this book because this it's not a soundbite in dialogue. Like this isn't a problem of racism that we've been fumbling around with for hundreds of years. It's not going to be solved in an element. Okay, like we all need to read this book first. And if this is going to be the only conversation, this is the first of many conversations. But this is something that I firmly and truly believe will take us to the next checkpoint. We've been dabbling in, you know, in the position, this chapter that we're in, this kind of diversity and inclusion and this like angle of trying to do it. Like we've been here for a while, 20, 30 years. It's time to move to the next chapter. And it's about resilience. It's about black empowerment. It's about celebrating black excellence in non-traditional areas of, you know, in, in areas where, you know, we haven't seen a ton of historically black success, right? Um, that's where we need to shine the spotlight and focus, right? The black guy who becomes partner at ENY, that's who we really need to focus on. The black guy who becomes the CEO of a public company that just gets listed on, on NASDAQ, like, yes, like, that's the story. That's the modern black success story that's non-traditional. The traditional thing, oh, you made it in rap? Cool. I've heard it before. I'm happy for you. I am, because you're telling your story, and, like, that's your story, right? Whether I want my kids to watch or listen is a different story, but, like, that's your story, and maybe it was traumatic and kind of crazy, but you're telling it, and... People want to pay you and like, congrats. But like, I've heard it. I've seen it. Like, I want to see a new story get exposure because it's happening. It's not like it's not happening. It is happening. We're just not making movies about it. Will Smith just made Emancipation, right? We just made another slave movie. Another one. Just had Django. Another slave movie. Who likes these slave movies? I don't like that. I don't like it. Today's MLK uh, Junior Day and like, it's tough, right, to go to a, an African-American museum because it's just a, it's just the slavery thing. Like, it's just, hey, by the way, your ancestors were slaves. Like, again, the next up, by the way, slave, just so you know. Like, by the way, like, you people that look like you, slave. Like, it's like, okay, like, but what about, like, why isn't there a, a level, or just at the Philadelphia African-American Museum, why isn't there a level that's like accountant, gastrointestinal surgeon, neuroscientist, author? Like, I want to see something different. I want to see 
modern black success get some shine? Why are we circling? Why are we circling thousands, millions today, millions of of black and white people through museums that are just like, by the way, slavery? Like we know, <laughs> we all know. It's not a secret. We are aware. Is that going to help move us forward? Is circling people through these museums, these trauma porn museums, is that going to improve black lives today? And it's not. Like, I'm telling you right now, that perpetuates learned helplessness. Hey, by the way, you were, your ancestors were slaves. Racism is still really alive. Well, wasn't that long ago? Like, look at the date. And, like, that's not good. Like, you're you're like, oh, wow, like, it's really sad. Like, you leave the museum like, man, that's tough. People w- really went through a lot. And, like, we're still going through a lot. And, like, maybe, hopefully, maybe it gives you some perspective because it's like, wow, like, and there's some great stories. If you haven't heard them, go hear them, right? I don't want to get this misconstrued because if you haven't heard the stories, all the classics, if you haven't read, go do that. You need to do that. But it only helps to a point. Once you are aware of it, it's important. But then what do you do? And the book, Black Resilience, answers the question, where do we go from here? Awesome. Well, I think we've given people a lot to think about and certainly a lot to, you know, look at our current day and say, like, well, what is happening right now? Who's the guy that just played Division One athlete and was a law school and is now operating businesses and is writing books? Like, why are we not talking about you more? Is there a reason, like, for some reason some of this is being kept out. Like you said, like you got to be polarizing. You got to sell high numbers. You got to be, you got to agitate people to get anywhere. Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, and part of it's practicing what you preach. This message will get, this will become mainstream. It's just a matter of time Um, because I'm not going to fail. It's just not like, I don't care. It's going to be made difficult. There's going to be obstacles. People are going to try to stop me. No one's going to try to help. But like eventually uh, there's going to be too much grassroots support because it's just work. Like it's just correct. And that's what really like when you know you're, you've written something and you're standing behind something that you know, like is completely right. And like, is this, is everything like, Sales is hard, right? You're trying to sell a book. You're trying to sell whatever it is you're trying to sell, right? Most of life is sales in a lot of ways. And, like, it can sometimes be difficult because you're trying, you're constantly having these conversations. You're trying to sell people on something. But it's a really special thing when you have the opportunity to sell and pitch and educate people about something that, not just you truly believe in, but that is objectively amazing. Like that you know, if enough people read this book, it will change the world. That is this book. If enough people, if we reach critical mass, and I shouldn't say if, when, when we reach critical mass of enough people reading this book, I think it's about a million black Americans. If a million black Americans read this book, it will change the world. It will change the course of history. It will be, it will start the next chapter and it will become the next level, the, the, the next floor in, in the black 
museums across the country and the world. And Braden, I certainly hope for that. One more time, why don't you tell everyone where they can find the book and anything else that you're doing, you know, if they want to find more of you. Yeah, so blackresiliencebook.com. You can go to blackresiliencefoundation.com. Start a 501c3 charity, all tax deductible. If you make a donation, you give it to us. We can really make a difference. Um, And, you know, we're trying to build like a black TED Talk, right? Like we're trying to build podcasts. We're just trying to create content that does what I'm talking about. The power of media is so important right now. And we need to be putting out more stories of, of modern black success like I just talked about. That's really what the foundation is designed. Uh, you can also reach me at kbradenanderson.com. Um, that's my main website. Uh, you can stay in touch with me. We recently launched a podcast called The Braden Anderson Show. Um, our first guest was Brother Ali, hip-hop legend. Uh, so make sure you tune into that. Um, and then also, if you're in Philadelphia, uh, we got Jester Castle, live music and comedy venue. And we got Cook Burger and Bar, Craft. Craft beer, smash burgers, certified Angus beef, fresh, made to order, like just good stuff, right? The same way in approach that I take with anything, like it's applied to burgers, right? Like I love burgers, passionate about it, right? And so it's a dream come true. It's so incredible to be able to put just all of your brain power into like the best burger and bar, you know, the, the best like craft burger and bar spot that I could ever build. And then also Black Turtle Coffee, Craft Coffee Shop, Coffee Roaster. We import beans, all single origin, organic, fair trade from Brazil, and we roast every day, right? So we're really peppering down on the freshness side of things. Um, So much coffee out there is super old and stale, and like you would be shocked, right? And the average palate can't discern it. Right, but like once you drink good coffee for a couple days, even you'll notice the difference. You'll be like, "Wow, this tastes like fresh." Right, and then you can start to figure out, like, "Oh, this tastes old." Right, and so that's another movement. The Black Turtle Coffee movement is huge. We're we're totally disrupting and demystifying what premium coffee is, and make sure you you look out for us there too because we're expanding really fast. And uh, it's going to be something that, that you want to be aware of. Awesome. Well, I hope people check out the locations if they're in a place where they can check them out. And then as far as like the podcast, the book, any of that, if you guys, you pick it up, you enjoy it, share it around, leave reviews for it. I cannot emphasize that enough for people. Like if you pick up the book online, leave a review for it. It helps people find it. Would appreciate it so much. Yeah. I, and I really appreciate you, Colton, for, for having me on. Uh, delight to have this conversation yeah absolutely thank you for being here i have appreciated your time immensely do you feel more educated after this episode of the just dumb enough podcast if so please take a brief moment to read the show five stars on itunes spotify or audible if you really liked it remember to subscribe for more episodes every week and check out the now over 100 episode backlog let me know what you want to hear by reaching out and emailing me dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com or send a message to me on any of the show pages like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else. I'm always looking for new topics, guest ideas, and questions from the audience. It's the final day for January rankings. Number one, the United States. 
with Texas and Oregon dominating as the top states, and California not even close. Number two, the United Kingdom. Number three, Australia, still led by Victoria. Better luck next month, New South Wales. Number four, Canada, with Ontario holding out as top province. And number five, New Zealand. That's it for today. I'll see you all Thursday to learn about the miracle of birth and its many hazards. Bye-bye!